News Talk 1110-993 WBT, the Pete Callender Show, hour number three underway. I will get to the County Commission audio, I promise. A couple of other uh, lawsuits, though, that uh, we got rulings on, cases. State Appeals Court tosses out a lawsuit challenging our certificate of need restrictions in North Carolina. This was a unanimous Court of Appeals panel decision dismissing an eye surgeon's challenge. He's out of New Bern uh, against the state's certificate of need restrictions, uh, otherwise known as the CON laws or the CON. Mm-hmm. The CON laws. Mm-hmm. A CON represents a state government permission slip to open medical facilities, purchase certain equipment, or perform certain procedures. Appellate judges agreed that Dr. Jay Singleton, the eye surgeon from Newburn, had failed to make a case that the con law violated his constitutional rights. But Judge John Tyson's majority opinion highlighted problems associated with the process. He wrote, quote, while counsel for defendants clearly and correctly admitted that the con statutes are restrictive, anti-competitive, and create monopolistic policies and powers to the holder, and the plaintiffs, the judge, or uh, the, the eye doctor, uh, the, the plaintiff, correctly asserts that the con process is costly and fraught with gross delays, and service needs are not kept current, those challenges can also be asserted before the General Assembly and commissions and against the agency where a factual record can be built. At least 12 sister states, including New Hampshire, California, Utah, Pennsylvania, and Texas, have re-examined their anti-competitive, monopolistic, and bureaucratic burdens of their con statutes. And the scarcity created by and delays inherent in that system, they've abolished the entire con system within their states, he added. So what is he saying? What is this judge saying? Yes, we know you're right. Your argument is legit. Your argument is correct. It's monopolistic. It's anti-competitive. It creates a scarcity of access to health care. It does all of those things. It acts as an obstacle for new entrants into the market. It is anti-free market. Absolutely, yes. And even the defendants agreed, right? Everyone acknowledges all of these things, but you should have made your argument to the legislature. That's essentially what they said. He said other avenues exist for addressing their concerns. Plaintiff's uh, complaint has also not asserted a violation of North Carolina's unfair and deceptive trade practices or right-to-work statutes. Plaintiffs also failed to assert it had sought reclassification of certain surgical and treatment procedures under its medical or other licenses and certifications, blah, 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 blah. Um, the case fell short because they didn't go through other channels first. Had the plaintiffs sought any administrative review or the procedures were shown to be inadequate, then their claim would be ripe for the Superior Court to exercise jurisdiction over their procedural claims. So I'm going to call it a technicality, a technicality. All right, let me go over here to uh, Joe first. Hello, Joe. Welcome to the program. How are you? Well, good day again, sir. Nice to talk to you as always. What's going on? Well, I hope I'm not jumping the gun here. You were quite correct on your uh, on your definition of separation of church and state. Have I talked to you about that before? 
Um, I don't know. Okay. Let's say no. Okay, let's say no. Well, you know, it was at the time of the Constitution was being written, several states had their own state churches, mm-hmm. and there were their own, you know, you had to go to that church and no other church. Yeah, official religions, too. Say again? Official religions. Right, official religions, what it amounted to. And it, it was an outgrowth of the colonies because these colonists, certain colonists out of several states, you know, had, had migrated to the United States because they wanted to practice, you know, their religion the way they wanted to practice it. And they were coming from England, most of them. And England had one state church, official religion. That was Anglican. You either were Anglican or you weren't, you know, you had to, you had to pay tithes to it. You had to go to it. You had no choice. And if you were a separatist, which is what the pilgrims were, you uh, basically were persecuted. And that's, in fact, they left uh, England and went to Holland, I think. And initially just trying to find some place to have some peace. So when they came to America, uh, you know, they didn't want to have to worry about surrendering their state church to the national government, mm-hmm. which might foist upon them a state church, you know, from other states getting together and ganging up on other states. So they wanted to keep that from happening. And so they said, you know, and that was a big obstacle initially at the Constitutional Convention because, again, the Danbury, the, the Baptists didn't want to risk, the, you know, the Quakers didn't want the risk, the, uh, the Congregationalists, which were the, which was the descent, the, the, the church that, that, that developed out of the Pilgrims. It was called the, Cong- they called it the Congo Church, but it was Congregationalism mm. and so forth. And actually, Virginia actually had the old-fashioned Anglican church that mm-hmm. came out of England. Well, they didn't want anybody risking somebody foisting, you know, Baptist beliefs on them or Catholic. Catholic was in Maryland. So they said no. So they felt like they, they realized that they were in Philadelphia and in Pennsylvania. William Penn had fostered the idea. He wanted Quakers mainly in in Pennsylvania, but not enough of them came. So he said, well, any Christian religion can come as long as it's Christian. And as long as they all, you know, agree not to bother each other and let live and let live, mm-hmm. we'll go for it. And so then uh, they put that in the Constitution. That was the idea behind it in the Constitution. Now, unfortunately, certain leftists and certain so-called scholars, and I say so-called because they they didn't know their butt from a hole in the ground. They said, well, separation of church and state. And they tried to turn it into separation of religion and states, mm-hmm. specifically the Christian religion. Anything that had to do with the Christian religion was forbidden. And the last state to disestablish its church, I don't want to skip over that part, was actually uh, Massachusetts, the Congregational Church. Mm. They were the last one, and they all did it willingly. It was their own choice. Yeah, as it should be. It was never a decision of the federal system or Congress or Supreme Court. They had nothing to do with it. And it was their decision on how they wanted to disestablish it. Like Tennessee does have, I think it's in their constitution, separation of church and state. 
So they're very hostile, or at least they used to be. Hmm. I don't know what's there, but now, now I read these books about this stuff 25 years ago. I got you. Well, Joe, I appreciate you sharing it. Thanks so much. Thank you, sir. You All right. Yes, sir, you too. Take care. Long-winded. Uh, no, it's, good. It's, it's a very helpful background. I appreciate it. News Talk 1110-993-WBT, The Pete Callender Show, 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. All right, before I get to the county commissioner's meeting from last night and the uh, the zone of dumbassery that we entered, uh, let me get a column on uh, to necromance a topic from last hour. Hello, column. Hey, Pete, how's it going? Hey, all right, what's up? Oh, hey, I just wanted to talk about the... One of your previous calls where he was uh, defining the well-regulated militia. I think uh, one of the mistakes people make with, when they're reading the Constitution is they disregard punctuation. So when you read that, it does say a well-regulated militia being necessary for the sovereignty of a nation, comma, um, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. But I think, uh, and, and I think the Federalist Papers will actually bear me out on this, and I believe their thinking was a well-regulated militia, meaning a standing army. No. Because, and when they, when well, when you consider uh, world history, even into modern day, the way... Oh, you thought, wait, hang on, Colm, you think that the people who just repelled the standing British army was advocating... To put into their document a standing army. Well, they, I think they recognize that a standing army would be necessary as a nation. Why wasn't it included? In, uh, a, I'm sorry. Why? Why would you include the standing army in the in a provision about keeping the people armed? Wait a minute. I'm sorry. Say that again. You're making the case that these two parts of the same sentence are talking about different things. That's your argument. I've heard the argument before. I don't. I don't believe it to be true. I completely disagree with the argument because you're saying that they they constructed a sentence, put half of it uh, aside to mean a standing army, and then the other half said Congress shall make no laws to infringe upon the people's rights to bear arms. It's correct. Yes, but when you look at world history, and again, even modern history, modern day, a People were always oppressed. The entity that the authority used to oppress the people was the army. So, it, and again, looking at keeping a nation sovereign, an army is required. And when you're looking at a, a well-regulated army, you're seeing an army that is trained for warfare. So if we were to repel, if we were again going to have to repel well, an authoritarian uh, regime that is using the army to oppress the people, well, then the only way that we could do it is to be armed ourselves. And that's why when you, again, look at history, people, when it came to tyrants, the people were always disarmed. I mean, look at Japan, where they're dis, you know disarming all the... Does this argument work for you when you discuss it with anti-Second Amendment people? Um, yeah, I think people understand that, yes. 
All right. So you see the point that they are making, that they want the well-regulated militia to mean a standing army. So you just adopt that position that they advance, adopt that position, and then argue that there's a comma there. And so the second half uh, doesn't really apply to the first half, uh, only in so much as it's meant to defend against the first half of that sentence. Well, no, I'm saying the second half because of the comma. I understand. But but there's no other reason why you would there's no other reason why they would have the first part in there. I don't understand why it doesn't. It, it's this to me is not a it's not a persuasive argument. If you're having that's why I asked you if this ever convinces anybody on the other side because it, it, to me that's not persuasive. And in fact, you just give ground to them when they when they make up this part about well regulated militia being a standing army. You give them that. Now maybe you really do agree with that. I don't. But if you agree with that premise then they get to make all sorts of arguments that, no, 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 this is all about the standing army and the people that go into the army. That's what it's about. And they were bringing their own guns to the army. But then again, that, that's where the punctuation comes in. Right. That's why I said I don't find this to be a persuasive argument because you're literally resting your entire case on a comma. No, because, because in this sense, the comma is giving a reason of why we as citizens should be armed because this army that is, would be required by any nation to maintain its sovereignty could be used against us. All right, so but, but, because they understood that, they said... Yeah, all right. I'm not getting that time of my life back. Thank you, Column. No, I do appreciate it. Maybe that will be used by somebody else in a debate at some point and they can use that. And maybe it convinces somebody. It does not convince me, but I appreciate the call. Uh, thanks for walking me through it. All right, so let me get to the county commission meeting. I'm not going to get uh, to all of this audio until after the newscast, but I could start it now. Uh, last night, Mecklenburg Board of County Commissioners had uh, their meeting where they approved the budget. The budget, now look, I left town like nine years ago or so, and, um, well, actually, no, 10 years yeah, I went to Asheville in 2012. Uh, yeah, all right. So, 10 years ago, I leave town and the budget for Mecklenburg County is a billion dollars. I come back and it's 2.2. Coincidence? Yes. I had nothing to do with that. I wasn't here. Maybe it's because I wasn't here that in 10 years, somehow or another, everybody let these county commissioners double the budget. This is nuts. Well, this year, it's a 6.7% increase in spending, $145 million over the current operating budget. It does maintain the existing tax rate. It is an election year, after all, people. The existing tax rate of 61.69 cents. I will do the math for you. I am moving on. I am moving on to the county commission stuff. I'm moving on to the county commission stuff here, but I do have some responses and I have some uh, uh, messages here. So I will read these, but I'm not going back to the gun stuff. You guys had like an hour, an hour and a half to weigh in on the gun stuff. (laughs) So we have, uh, this is from the Twitter machine. Michael Scarn says, thank God our founding fathers knew about punctuation. Uh, Otherwise we would have no gun rights. And uh, Carolina Bulldog says, ah, the classic, I'm going to interpret the Second Amendment to mean what I want you to believe it says because I don't like what it actually says, technique. Yeah, 
Ah. Pete, on the issue of the Second Amendment, I recently saw a funny meme that perfectly encapsulates the left's approach to this issue. It goes something like this. Gun owner, quote, it's my right to own guns. It's in the Constitution. Anti-gun activist, quote, no, that was only meant for militias. Gun owner, fine, I'll form a militia. Activist, domestic terrorist. Great show as always. That is from Matt. Um, A well-regulated militia. Pete, I interpret that as being to hit your target on the first shot. There you go. That's... uh, Who's to say? That's my truth, right? Right, Tim? (laughs) That's my interpretation. That's my truth. The Constitution says I can own whatever I want. That's my truth. Okay. Um, So I promised you that I would do the math for you on the Mecklenburg County tax rate. I'm going to move on. There's a whole bunch of dumbassery I need to get into here. Mecklenburg County adopted the budget. It's a $2.2 billion budget. It calls for $145 million of new spending, a 6.7% increase over the current year's spending level. The tax rate's going to stay the same, 61.69 cents. And uh, I won't go through the formula on how you uh, figure this out. And it's going to be different depending on where you live, because if you live in a city, uh, the different tax rates that apply there, for example, Charlotte has a uh, 0.3481, and Cornelius is 0.2220, Davidson 0.2900, so, and that would be 29 cent, they would call that, 29 cent ad valorem property tax rate. Per $100 of assessed value, $0.29 cents per $100. So if you multiply the value of your home, which is not the sales price, it's the valuation that the county does. They come around and they, they value all the properties. And then this is called the reval, right? They come around, they say your house is worth more or less or whatever. And then people, you can complain, challenge it. Like, my home is worth way less than what you said. All right, so... If you do the math, and for some reason, according to the census, they still say that the median home value in Mecklenburg County is $253,500, although that was for the period ending in 2020. So I don't know what it is now. It's probably like $7 million. I mean, just because the inflationary pressures. Anyway, uh, if you do that math on the county tax rate, you're paying about $1,563 per year for your property tax rate or, or property taxes. 1563. If you live inside Charlotte City Limits, add on another 880 bucks or so, and now you're at a little bit more than $2,400 or $200 a month. That's your property tax bill if you own a home valued at a quarter million dollars. You know what the median sales price is? $425,000. That's the median. Not the average, the median. All right. So, that's the budget. It got passed. Now, as a sidebar story to all of this, and it does come back around to the budget, I will get, uh, I will get to that uh, towards the end here, but I have some audio for us. So, for years, county commissioner, and as a school board member, she did this as well, Vilma Leek, she of the large flowers resting upon her shoulders. Vilma Leek has every single meeting pulled agenda items. And what that means is 
You have all sorts of uh, parts of the agenda, ones for reports from staff. You got even a commissioner's report section. Uh, but one area that's on virtually all government meeting agendas is the consent agenda, where you basically take all of these little things, uh, you know, small dollar values, non-controversial items, just kind of the, the normal operational stuff that's, you know, the manager takes care of, but they need technically approval. And you just stuff them into the consent agenda and you have like, you know, 20, 30, 40 different items. They're all in there and you just pass the whole consent agenda as one item because there's no debate to be had on all of this stuff. Well, for years, Vilma pulls out virtually every single item in the consent agenda, making it worthless, making it worthless. And I'm not talking one or two items, okay? She pulls out multiple items every single time. And then she asks staff questions, and, oh, I need some clarification on something, and where is this going to be? And then when usually the question gets answered with the obvious answer that even a child would have known had they just read the write-up or read the supporting documents, uh, then she says something, well, I'm just bringing this up to highlight it for the public. See, she's doing it for the public. Okay, so after she did this usual ritual last night, Chairman George Dunlap, he makes the point that the commissioners can get these answers outside of the regular meeting if they just were to call the county manager. You just call up Dina DiOrio. The consent agenda is supposed to be done all at once, quickly. And if you got questions, just call staff. Do commissioners have the ability to come to you and ask these questions prior to tonight's meeting or any meeting? Yes. Okay. And then given the fact that we used to have budget meetings prior to the not budget meetings, but um, what we call the meetings. Agenda review. Agenda review committee. Is there a need to, to, to restore that? Only if people are going to show up. Oh. Okay, because I think that might help with some of this, but I just, I just wanted to make sure that people understand they have an opportunity to go ask questions of the manager before you actually have a meeting and have to ask those questions. All right, so at this time, we're moving to commissioner's report. All right, so so here what he said there. They used to do this thing where they would all gather before the meeting and they could ask questions or whatever, but they got rid of it because nobody showed up. They got, they got rid of it. Well, his comments did not sit well with Vilma Leek, who used her time for the commissioner reports to respond to the not-so-veiled reference to her time-consuming PR stunts. She's basically a time burglar. Commissioner Leek. Yes, I'm not going to stop saying to the public consent items that deal with how money is spent, contracts, you've tried to stop it before. And this, to me, is not fair to the public to know and have this information. Uh, so I will continue to do it. And he's tried to stop it before. And I don't know if board members don't agree with this. They don't have to listen to even the report from the uh, Arts and Science Council, but we do it. We didn't ask for it, but it was asked by a given person. So I'm, I'm about to become upset about all of this when a chairperson orchestrates to cut off communication what? with the general public of information. I know I can go to Dina, but that does not disseminate the information to the public. And we work for the public. Right, the six viewers. Ourselves. The six so viewers. Stop doing it. Including you can't me. Stop me. The next thing is you have received uh, information coming from the health committee, the informer, and we felt that it was necessary to give information to the public 
And uh, some people don't want to give information, don't even want you to vote. What? So we're trying to disseminate as much information as we possibly can to the general public. And when you have a leader who says no to information, I got a problem with that. <laughs> and I'll be saying that across this county, all this up until November the 8th. Oh. Those who sit here and what they want, they get. I'm working for the people. I'm not working for you individually. And you may not like it. Call for personal privilege. That was taken away because there was a complaint. So I'm not going to stop serving the people. And I hope the people are hearing me. No, oh, I'm hearing you all right. Hearing you loud and clear. They got rid of the uh personal privileges because you just run your mouth so much. You're a time burglar. Time burglar. You make all the county commissioners all, and formerly on the school board, you make everybody sit around and listen to every school you visited, all the people you talked to, and you go on and 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 on. Oh my God, somebody just stop her. And so they get rid of things to stop her from burglaring time. Burgling time. Burgling time. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. That's Michael Franti. Alrighty, so uh, Vilma Lee got very upset because George Dunlap basically accused her of being a time burglar during all of the Mecklenburg County Commissioner meetings where she pulls out virtually every single item out of the consent agenda, asks really silly questions about them, and then... Passes it all off as, I'm just trying to highlight this for the people, because I'm doing the work for the people. And what Dunlap said was, you can get all you can get all of these questions answered ahead of time. Just call Dina, the county manager. And then Vilma Malik said, I know that, of course, I know that. I'm doing this for the public to know. Well, actually, you could just lift it out. You could just say, hey, got a contract here, everybody. Here's work at the local rec center. Motion to uh, um, move to approve. You could do it that way, too. Or you could just do them all at once or save them for your commissioner report at the very end of the meeting, which they actually had to put a time limit on because of Vilma Leak, because she talks forever. So uh, they had to put a time limit on that, right? So she then accuses George Dunlap of trying to suppress her, right? Trying to, to keep her from speaking out about things and to try to uh, prevent her from speaking to the public. But Dunlap, being the chairman, he got the final word. The last thing I will say is that um, there has never been an effort to silence people on talking about consent items. But everybody understands that consent items are those items that can be voted on with one motion. There has never been an issue with a person highlighting an issue that is on the consent item, which is very different than questioning somebody about items that you could have read about. So I want to make sure that point is clear. Everything that is questioned is answered in the documents if you would only read them. Oh, all right. So you may be thinking to yourself, Pete. Who are you rooting for here? You got Vilma versus George. Who are you rooting for? Well, the answer is uh, injuries. No, I'm kidding. I'm not. I'm not. Root, I am not rooting for injuries. It's just a joke. 
Like, God help them both. And for the love of me, they're making me, they're making me like both of them and neither of them at the same time. I agree with him on some things. I agree with her on some other things. And, oh, you're, you're going after Georgia. Oh, all right. Oh, you're going after Vilma. What am I to do? So I'm just watching with the popcorn. So this wasn't the only dressing down that George Dunlap delivered to his colleagues either. They were all females, too, I note. Anyway, during their commissioner reports, Commissioners Laura Meyer and Susan Rodriguez McDowell explained how while they voted for the budget, they did want more money to go to CMS. Here is Laura Meyer first. But I appreciate my colleagues who went a step further, maybe out of their comfort zone, and voted for that $10 million increase that one time um, that one time increase, so I thank them. Mm-hmm. Um, I do appreciate it, and it's not enough. And um, we have been allocating less of our a percentage of our budget for um, the last 20 years, and the need is even greater, and it's even greater at the pandemic. So I just want to say I will continue to work for education. I will continue to speak on behalf of teachers, teacher assistants, and children and parents. Um, and Madam Manager, I do hope that you're right. I hope that I, I will say I'm wrong all day long if they do find the money and, and can um, do what we hope they can do with the money. So if you're right, I will, I will speak it publicly. No, so, and I, just because I, I, I know I'm right, that doesn't mean they're going to do it. Well, well I, just feel like, um, I, I just feel like at the end of the day, it's for the children. And the children are going to suffer. That was Vilma, by the way, right there. That was Vilma League rolling her eyes verbally. Um, And then McDowell said much the same thing. She she wanted more money. They could do better. She said, I believe there's plenty of money. The county is graded overestimating expenses, underestimating revenue. We need to give them all of our money. And then George Dunlap uh, responds. I was sitting in a committee meeting yesterday talking about children in foster care when one of my colleagues drew the connection between the importance of education to the lack of opportunity in minority communities. And then they turn around and advocate against providing additional resources for those same children. It will never make sense to me. <clears throat> I'm constri- extremely concerned about the way we do education. Uh, McDowell, your time has expired. By the way, I think she was referencing Dunlap there. Was expired. All right. Um, so I, I won't rehash the budget, but but I'll remind you of this. We just had a primary election. Mm-hmm. The candidate that raised the most money, whose sole issue was giving more money to CMS, mm-hmm. lost. Oh. Not only did she lose, she came in next to last place. I remind people that there are over a million citizens in Mecklenburg County who have no connection to CMS. And so it is fair for this county commission that represents the entire county to be concerned about all the other issues in the county as well. Dad, come it! It makes now I almost like him again. He's almost sounding like a Republican there, right? By the way, he's talking about Jennifer De La Hara. Am I pronouncing that right? De La De La Hara, school board member, tried to run for county commission at large, finished fifth in a field of six with thirteen percent of the vote. Uh, yeah, I did not know she raised the most amount of money. 
I'm not sure either. Maybe Laura Meyer can spread that message of it's for the children. I haven't heard that one before. That might actually be persuasive. We'll see you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone.